The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, a podcast of RepublicEN.org. I'm Chelsea Henderson, your host, and today I have a very special guest lined up for you. But first, aren't you ready for me to stop begging you to subscribe? Aren't you ready for me to stop asking for five-star reviews? Stop, drop, subscribe, and rate. There will be a prize for one lucky listener once we reach 100 five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. So if you're enjoying our efforts to bring you the best eco-right voices, write us up a great review, Price will read it on the air, and when we get to that magic number, stay tuned for a chance to win. In this week's rendition of Whose Line Is It Anyway?, I asked my colleagues the origin of a certain eco-right-themed quote. Here are their responses. I asked my colleagues at RepublicEN.org to identify who said the following. I believe strongly that if Republicans don't make it an issue, we will lose the upcoming generation of Republicans. The upcoming generation will not be patient with us. This is a deal breaker for them. They'll leave the Republican Party over this one issue. And the answer from Bob Inglis. I'm thinking it's John Kasich who said that, that he says the upcoming generation will not be patient with us. This is a deal breaker for them. Answer from Wen Lee. I'm going to go with John Curtis from Utah. And finally, our podcast producer, Price Atkinson. Well, Chelsea, I think that's the easiest one of the three that we've done. The easiest by far, no doubt about it. I think that was former Ohio governor and presidential candidate John Casey. And the winner this week is anyone who said John Curtis. Yes, today's guest said those words. Stay tuned for my interview with Representative John Curtis. Listeners, welcome back. And I know behind your Spotify app, you are joining me in a warm welcome to our first sitting member of Congress to appear as a guest, Mr. John Curtis from the 3rd District of Utah. He and I are joining conversation with my other favorite Utah, Nick Huey, who was the main segment guest in episode three. And I highly encourage you to go back and listen to his uh, my conversation with him. In case you don't know much about Mr. Curtis, he represents the youngest congressional district in the country. He also once served as the mayor of Provo, and he's been a strong champion for conservative leadership on climate change. He's a member of the House Climate Solutions Caucus, has been the subject of many of my eco-right news posts, and as you just heard, he was also the subject of this week's edition of Whose Line Is It Anyway? Back in 2018, we had the distinct pleasure of co-hosting Mr. Curtis for a nature walk, which you will hear a little bit about in the show. So without further ado, my conversation with Congressman John Curtis and spokesperson Nick Huey. All right, listeners, we are back, and I'm so thrilled to have with me Congressman John Curtis from the 3rd Congressional District in Utah. Mr. Curtis, welcome to the show. Thank you. This is a delight to be with you. 
And also, Eco Writers, you know our friend Nick Huey. You heard him on episode three. Here's, he's here also to join in the conversation. Hey, guys. So, um, gentlemen, I've only been to Utah twice. Once I was a baby, and the second time I was a Senate staffer going on a trip that was sponsored by the late Senator Bob Bennett. And so I don't have a lot of experience there, except I can say with like a lot of confidence that Utahns are the nicest people in the United States. I, uh, we, we would be proud of that designation. And, but I can also tell you there's so much more here. And uh, we're, we're a little afraid to brag about it because the more we brag, the more people come. So <laughs> I've almost come to the conclusion we should start uh, telling everybody to, it's just a terrible place. You wouldn't want to come. It's like the Iceland Greenland thing. Isn't Greenland is really the icy one and yeah. Iceland is really the green one? <laughs> well, the thing I love about Utah is that you guys are nice, but you also really get the issue of climate change. And I was really struck, um, Mr. Curtis, last week listening to you in the National Clean Energy Week session where you said that your district is the youngest in the nation. That was new to me, but that also was just like this little light bulb that clicked where I thought that's why he gets climate change. It certainly helps. And I'm surrounded by, um, I'll call them millennials. I'm not sure that's a totally accurate description, but the average age in my district is 26 years old. And uh, this is an issue that they're clear on. Uh, they're, they're not ambiguous at all um, and very thoughtful. And which, which if, if I'm smart, I join them in that thoughtfulness and taking it very seriously. Well, Nick, I think you're a good representative, re- representative of that. And, you know, we've heard your story about your um, big um, purple coming together event that you did, that you spearheaded when you were at BYU. Yeah, we actually gifted um, Representative Curtis. I don't know if you remember, we gifted you a giant oh, yeah. Y, right? That would be something that someone would forget, Nick. <laughs> Huge. <laughs> that was the goal. That was the goal. It was a six-foot Y filled with thank you letters uh, to Representative Curtis for, at the time, Mayor Curtis, actually. He had done a whole bunch of things to help clean up the air in Provo. Um, that was actually one question I had for you was, when, when we first talked to you, you were running for office, um, and what, you were a little bit timid about the term climate change. I think you were being very strategic about speaking about cleaning up the air because in Utah that was something that we could all get behind, right? Everybody wants cleaner air, but it seems like you've shifted a little bit to saying, okay, we as conservatives need to approach climate change through a new lens um, and actually address it. What made that switch for you from speaking purely about clean air to speaking about climate change as well? Well, I I would tell you two things. Um, One is that um, I didn't hear very much at all about carbon um, in in the air as mayor. It was uh, PM2 and and things like that uh, that we deal with here in the Valley and and were serious things. So so that was one aspect of it. But but a bigger aspect of it was a realization that you don't really get a seat at the table unless you are willing to say climate change, right? And and unless you're willing to acknowledge that the climate's changed and, and man's had an influence on it, you're really rejected from even being part of the discussion. Now, I do think that's a mistake, but it is a reality. 
Well, I think the issue of clean energy is kind of like a nice, um, they're like training wheels, right? So (laughs) you can talk about clean energy, most clean energy projects or something like 80%. I probably have the, the stat wrong. I'll look it up for the show notes, but it's some very high percentage of wind projects are located in red districts. So that's a really nice way to show those who we call eco-hesitant, who are a little um, unsure maybe about getting behind something that has a label climate change, but they get that clean energy is important to the economy and can create jobs and can give you that localized clean air, which it, it makes sense to me as mayor. I've probably never gone to my mayor and talked about climate change but I talked to her about trash pickup and I talked to her about illegal dumping. So, so that makes a lot of sense. And, and what you were just saying about coming to the table, um, one thing else that you said last week that really struck me, which is something our executive director, Bob Inglis says a lot, is that it's not enough to be against something like the Green yeah. New Deal. You have to be for something. So that is so true. And, and I, I regret that my party Republicans are really, really good at saying what we don't like and have not been very aggressive in coming forward with our own ideas. And that's that's too bad because there are a lot of ideas that fit the conservative philosophy that would, would be a, uh, make a tremendous difference. And that hesitancy is really allowing us to be branded as not caring about the earth. And that is really unfortunate and for, for a lot of reasons. So. Um, you're kind of in the first even few minutes of this podcast, like really hitting at some fundamental structural problems, right? That if we're going to make progress, these are the type of structural problems, uh, allowing ourselves to be branded, being afraid of the conversation, um, not having, uh, not really willing to be um, aggressive and proactive with putting our ideas forward. Those are all like foundation pieces that we've got to figure out how to to, to, to sure up and make them a strong part of a conservative platform. Yeah, I was going to ask, how do we get help people kind of usher them along? And, and at Republic EN, we really believe in meeting people where they are. So one thing that Bob always says, whether he's out the one, you know, speaking to groups of people or we are dispatched to have conversations is, Don't talk down to people. Don't sound, try to sound like you're the smartest person in the room. (laughs) And, and I will say, I don't know a lot about the mechanics. I'm more of, you know, a 10,000 foot level person. So how do we kind of help people take those baby steps? So I I have some really strong opinions on this. (laughs) And so if you'll, if you'll excuse me, I'm just going to kind of share a a couple of thoughts that I feel really strongly about. Uh, Number one, and let me use uh, Nick as an example. Um, when Nick was at BYU and he looked at me as his mayor, he probably could have found a hundred things that I was not doing for the environment that bugged him, but he didn't. He found the one thing that he liked that I was doing and, and he gathered hundreds of thank you cards and sent them to my office. Now we all know human nature, right? What's far more likely to, to make me want to engage on this and, and do a better job? It, right. And, and praise is great. Praise. Now, unfortunately, the climate dialogue is full of what I call shaming. Right. We, we just so like somebody could come up to me and say, you know what? I just changed all the light bulbs in my home to LED. And, and you know what the average response is? Well, what else did you do? Right. That's not enough. And, and we really need to, to stop that and, and instead say that is amazing. Congratulations. Do you know that the one light bulb, you're right. You, you just make this much difference. 
And then at another time and place, say, hey, you ready for the next step, right? Uh, Provo City has a, a lawnmower trade-in program and where you can get an electrical lawnmower. And, and, and so praise, but also in this is, is interwoven baby steps, right? Not demanding uh, that, that somebody go 100% over on the other side of the spectrum, but realize this is a journey along that spectrum and, and acknowledging and rewarding them along the spectrum. Then if you'll indulge me, the second point, which I also feel very strongly about, and the best way I've found to make this point is probably going to really bother you and your listeners, but, but let me do it. Okay. If I say the wall, how do you, I mean, do you not immediately kind of tense up and, and get like defensive? And most of your listeners probably get, right, a little defensive. So we've got to realize that the word climate change has that same emotional impact on people. And, and so you just got to be super careful with that. And when you use the word climate crisis, that just doesn't evoke, right, motivation to get engaged and get involved. And so I've experimented with a lot of terminology. And currently what I really like to do is just simply ask people, hey, do you want to leave the world better than you found it? Right. And um, what are our responsibilities to do that? Totally void of a debate about science, totally void of, of, you know, all of these highly charged debatable things. And I like to remind people, like, really, science has never really convinced anybody to change any human behavior. And if you want a perfect example, look at COVID, right? Science is clear. If you wear a mask, if you distance yourself, uh, you're, you're going to be healthier. Well, go look at the beaches, right? Go look at BYU, Nick, right? Like at, at the dorm parties, right? They know the science, it doesn't motivate them. And, and I would say the same thing about climate. That is not the motivating thing. And too often we just assume that we just have to present the science and somebody's gonna be motivated to, to change. I saw, I saw a really interesting video the other day and it was talking about climate change, not in terms of climate change actually, it was talking about the third industrial revolution, right? Yep. So it talked about, we had have, we have the first, we had the second, and now clean energy is actually the third industrial revolution. I thought that was a really interesting way to talk about it. Do you think that would be a good way to approach concerns about? It's, it's huge. And one of the things I like to say, I, I joke a little bit and I say, hey, look, if you care nothing about the environment, you should want to be green because there's money to be made, right? right. Yeah. If you look at the first two industrial revolutions, fortunes were made. Right. If we were at that precipice, again, Nick, you're so accurate in that. We're at that precipice. And the United States can choose to be the one getting our technology dispersed around the world or purchasing someone else's. And um, I mean, for conservatives, that should be a very clear choice and should be very motivating just on that fact alone. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. Um, to go back to something you just said, too, about um, science and belief in science. And, you know, I think one thing that's hard about the words climate change is that, or even global warming, is that it feels ab abstract. So yeah. you don't really see it necessarily in your day to day. But one thing that Bob really drilled into us to stop saying and what he really wishes the media would stop asking is, do you believe in climate science? And kind of going back to what Dr. Catherine Hayhoe says is like, you can believe in it or not, it exists. Just like you can believe in gravity or not, 
gravity exists. And so we've really tried to reframe that question from do you believe in climate science to, you know, do you accept that free market solutions will help us solve climate change? And just try to like flip that narrative a little bit. Yeah, it's so charged, uh, that, that, that question, and it's, you hear different variations of it. And unfortunately, it's frequently used as a little bit of a trap. So you go to any of my town hall meetings, somebody will eventually raise their hand and say, do you believe that uh, the climate's changing and man's influencing it? What they really want is to put me into a hole, right, and, and trap me, right? And, and if that's unfortunate. That's one of the reasons Republicans hate that question and that they run from that question. And so, you know, to, I, I say, look, to my good friends uh, on the left that are answering that question, if you're serious about engaging Republicans, you've got to stop asking that question and rephrase the question because it's, it's alienating. I'll go back to the wall, right? If, if, if I want to start a serious immigration uh, discussion about immigration and I start by saying the wall, right? There's no way that that then evolves into a thoughtful conversation. Um, I want to take both of you back to your field trip that you took in, was it August 2018 or was it maybe even 2017? My, anything pre-COVID right now feels... Yeah. You took the hike, right, with the BYU scientists, and um, and that was something that we are really proud of helping facilitate. So do you think that that's a good strategy for us to engage, to kind of do more of these very local, when we can come together, right? Because obviously right now, even though you're outside and it's, it's possible to be distant, it's probably a little bit... Um, you'd have to have the right combination of people who are comfortable with it. But just sort of generally the concept of taking people out in their local communities with their local scientists to look at impacts. How do you think about that as a strategy for kind of trying to make more um, conservative climate friends? Um, clearly, it's a great strategy. And uh, one of my favorite things was a, about an eight, maybe even longer hour hike up Mount Timpanogos where I invited anybody that wanted to come uh, to talk about climate. So imagine that they had me captivated for, for eight or 10 hours and I had them captivated and it totally got away from the one liners from the, uh, the, does that make sense on both sides? I couldn't just give them one line to get away from that question. Eight hours to keep me the league, right? And I had, I had, and I had hours to push back, right? right? And, and challenge them and say, look, I need, you know, I need, I need better ideas than that um, and, and come engage me on this. Why won't you engage me on this uh, topic? And um, so I, I really think um, that the whole concept of getting out of our stereotypes of how we're dealing with this, like really, we're going to really solve anything serious at a town hall meeting with a question you ask me, right? I mean, there's really, I mean, you're going to get an answer and, and then I'm going to move on and you're going to move on and nothing is going to change, right? But spending time together uh, and, and especially spending time together in our beautiful outdoors. Um, it's, it's, it's a great uh, backdrop uh, for realizing just how precious this earth is. Wow. And hopefully because I'm not, I'm like a two hour hiker. I'm not really an eight hour hiker. <laughs> so I was just thinking, well, as long as people are talking to me the whole time, I could probably keep focused on the fact that I wasn't well, out hiking for so long. <laughs> well, if I'm honest, um, we actually used the long hike as a filter so we get a smaller group, right? Because you, you, if I go on a hike with 100 people, it's not going to be a very meaningful experience. How many showed up? I think we had close to a dozen um, okay. that, that, that took the hike. 
And I know, I know David Fallen, he's a big climate change activist, was with you on that hike. Um, I'm sure he talked your ear off, but he's the nicest guy in the world. I'm sure he wasn't mean at all. Um, but he told me about that, said it was a really meaningful experience. Cool. Yeah, and so what was really good, and David's a really good example, is those that were on that hike, we build a relationship of, I would say, of trust, of friendship. And, and so while I, I don't do a lot of things that David would like me to do, uh, there's a foundation of of trust where he can push and I can push back, right? And we can, we're going to have a thoughtful dialogue that goes far beyond these, you know, his litmus test questions or, or, or my litmus test responses, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and that um, kind of takes me to the issue of bipartisanship. And I remember reading a, a poll, I'll have to go back and see if I can find it, that said the American public thinks that if something is hailed as bipartisan, then it must be watered down, that that's the only <laughs> way you could get to bipartisanship, which is sort of cynical. We have to have it, right, to do anything. And we have to be able to have these relationships with the other side and conversations with people without it erupting into, you know, finger pointing and, and lists of the things that one another are or aren't doing, right? There has to be some trust and there has to be some willingness to to find that, that Venn diagram of, of spots where you can agree. So I think you're just, you've really hit on something. And let me go even a little bit deeper on this subject. Um, the system, I've been in Congress three years and I've just really come to appreciate the system. The system is not supposed to move fast. It's not supposed to take radical swings. And, and it, it it's built into it as a slow, methodical change. It frustrates people. I get it. That's very frustrating. But imagine if, if that was not there. And so the Green New Deal comes out and boom, we implement the Green New Deal. Well, does anybody really think, right, that, that, that that's the right answer uh, to, to solve this? No. It, it's, a, it, 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 it's, it's like put ideas out there and we'll try this, we'll try this. But this, if, if we just totally enacted a film like that tomorrow, I think it would be a tremendous mistake. And, and so, although painful for people watching, the process is really good because you have to have both sides. And let's face it, the country's roughly split on this in, in different directions. And so who's to say somebody should be able to dominate, right? Let's move the ball in the right direction. Let's, let's get there, let's, but, but bring people with us. And the other thing is you'll notice anything that passes Congress without bipartisan support, and there's two notable examples, the Affordable Care Act and tax reform, is forever attacked by the other party and dismantled, right? So if you want it to last, you've got to get bipartisan support. To have enduring climate policy, which is what we say we want to see, it does, it definitely has to be bipartisan. And, and so I don't, I'm still a little stumped on how we kind of get there, especially it seems that every election year we're a little more polarized and the folks that are in the middle end up either losing their elections or getting fed up and not wanting, and, you know, and they're the bridge, right? The moderates on both in both parties can be that bridge. And so I don't know, it's, I'm probably just feeling a little well, cynical today. <laughs> let me give you some hope. Okay. All right. Um, another thing's happening, which is that every year the press is becoming more polarizing and reporting on the, the extremes. I get to see Congress every day. And I, I'll tell you, you would be pleased with how many members of Congress actually are thoughtful, are non-bombastic, who work across the aisle and, and try to find solutions. Guess what? That's never reported. You don't get to hear that. 
right? And so when we work together, and, and I can name three or four bills I've sponsored with, with congressmen across the aisle dealing with the environment in the last six or seven months, right? And, and that's happening all day long with good people, thoughtful people reaching across the aisle. And, and, and part of that move that you're seeing is real, I'll admit it, but part of it also is an emphasis on simply reporting the extremism, the, 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 the person that stands up and, and, and screams crooked Hillary, right? They get the, the news, right? They get the Fox. Right. Yeah, clickbait, exactly. Yeah. Well, I remember when I worked in the Senate that um, Senator Warner, one of his best friends was Ted Kennedy. And and that just always kind of struck me at, that he had you know this deep friendship with somebody who was really the icon of liberal politics and they liked each other as people. Yeah, and, and there's far more of that than the other going on. Uh, Representative Lowenthal is from uh, California, kind of the, the Long Beach area. He and I are diametrically opposed on almost everything, especially public lands. And um, we worked on a bill together. Initially, he didn't like it. And by the end of our working together, he, he voted for the bill. But pre-COVID, we don't do this anymore. We wouldn't see each other in the hall without giving each other a hug, Right. And that's the climate that you, it's just, that doesn't make news, right? Who wants to, to that's not going to be on CNN or Fox News. But I just want you to know, there's a whole lot more of that than you see. That's incredible. I think that's, that's awesome. Like we, need, we need to know that. That's, thank you. Yeah, well, I think that's a great note to, to end on, just because hope is something that we all need a little more of in this world, especially as we, um, you know, are together in this effort to, to make a difference on, on the conservative side of the climate change movement. And we just appreciate everything that you represent and are doing and look forward to, you know, maybe when we can all get together and hike again, um, maybe I'll get out my hiking boots and try <laughs> that eight hour hike with you. <laughs> all right, I look forward to that. And uh, Nick, um, sorry, our paths haven't crossed in person, but thanks for all you do. And Oh yeah. yeah. Thanks for being part of that team that, that recognizes the good and the positive. Oh, heck yeah. No, thanks for all you're doing. We uh, couldn't be more stoked with the way that you're bringing people together and part of the solution to the division in the country. I mean, please, please don't stop. I, I know you get beat up for it sometimes. <laughs> Man, we're so grateful. Uh, I'm aging in dog years, Nick. But <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> Yeah. Well, this, is, this has been great. Thanks uh, to, to both of you. I hope we get to do it again soon. Price, I cannot say enough nice things about Mr. John Curtis. He was so lovely to talk to. I just, I really would love to have him on the show again. I want to go hiking with him. I have all of the adoration. We all love John Curtis. Anybody in our circles, in terms of conservative circles, that does not love John Curtis, shame on you. He is a rock star, and I still think it is fascinating that he says that that, that he represents the youngest district in the country. Of 435 house districts, his is the youngest. I'm still blown away by that. I know, and it sort of got me to thinking, like, what is it that draws young people to that district? Obviously, Utah, there's Provo. I've never been to Provo, but I'm just assuming it must be a great place. It's beautiful, probably a lot of outdoor things to do. And 
Um, I won't move there because I don't want to um, raise his average age, <laughs> um, which I would definitely do. But I'm very curious to go visit and check it out once well, we can do things like that again. <laughs> you definitely stumped me in Who's Line this week in the third installment. I was absolutely sure that it had to be John Kasich, and you got me with John Curtis. Good well, job. Well, you know, I'm sure John Kasich had said something similar. I intentionally went after something that John Curtis had said so that it would tie in with our episode. And so it was a little bit of a trick question. But, yeah, I'm sure if we dug around, we could find something similar from Governor Kasich. See, I didn't think you would put a quote like that from Curtis. <laughs> I thought it was too obvious. So I guess I should have just stayed. Keep it simple, stupid is what I uttered to my wife well, earlier. Not calling her just- stupid. You're onto my nefarious ways, Price. <laughs> All right, real quick, I want to uh, touch on the debate from last week and not everything that went down, just simply the climate portion. But uh, before we do that, I want to shout out a couple new members, Timothy S. in New York, Michelle K. in Pennsylvania, David A. in South Carolina, Leslie H. in Connecticut, and Barry H. in Minnesota. And if you want to join us, we would love to have you Sign up to be a part of our team. It is very, very simple. Just go to republicin.org, and then at the very top, in a red button, you will see a little button that says Join. It's that simple. All you do is just fill it out right there. It takes all of seconds. Republicin.org forward slash join. We need you to stand with us. And we really don't, um, as I say it all the time, we don't spam you. So becoming a member, we're not begging you for donations. We're really just bringing you um, news, action alerts, which you can choose to do or not. We do member polls because we really want to know what our membership thinks. And then you will also never miss a podcast episode if you are a member. So please do join if you're not a member of our community. The debate was something else last week, Chelsea. <laughs> that is a way to phrase it. Dumpster right? fire, waste of time. I, I mean, there are many other there are many ways that you can describe it. It was just an utter train wreck and embarrassment of American democracy, as far as I'm concerned. But the climate portion is what I wanted to talk about because it was fairly significant, and believe in the research and articles and stuff I read this week or last week over the weekend that that was the first time that climate had come up in a presidential debate or a vice presidential debate since um, back in 2008, if I've got that right, what, Palin-Biden? So- yeah, I, I thought that was really significant. And, you know, what's interesting is that it was not on the original list of six questions because, you know, it, it could, it definitely warrants being its own um, topic and not just an ancillary topic to something else. But I, when I heard Chris Wallace um, ask a climate question, my first thought was, well, the wheels have already come off this debate. So I guess he's thrown out his notes as well. And, you know, while unfortunately we didn't really get, um, I, I just felt like at that point, maybe it was that the goodwill was gone. While they each had a little bit of a longer response than than some of their earlier back and forth interrupting kind of moments. Um, you know, it, it it saddens me that there's still so much misinformation being shared about what climate change is. And honestly, I was glad to see Joe Biden push back on the Green New Deal. So. 
Yeah, I um I know there were a lot of people that thought that was one of Biden's better moments, especially because he actually got to talk a little bit. He wasn't being shouted down, talked over, bullied. Um, I thought that he was good in that part. I thought he would have been even better had that come up earlier. However, I don't think there's any way that would have come up earlier. But something you said is is what I my next day takeaway was that that was not on one of the topics on the list that Chris Wallace had. Why did he go to that topic? That is one thing I've just kind of racked my brain on and speculated internally is what made him go down that road um, on a topic that, that wasn't, you know, that they did not plan to talk about. Was it simply to draw a chance to maybe talk a little bit of policy that wasn't name calling and bullying? I mean, they did talk a little bit Biden, obviously more so than, than Trump, but I that that was a uh, just a huge question mark that I I was left with. Yeah, and I, and I wonder if he just at that point was um, you know wanting to kind of reset, yeah, <laughs> and throwing out you know doing something different and unexpected since the rules the rule book had already been thrown out at that point. Um, maybe he just figured what the heck. And we do know that um, Chris Wallace has done some fair reporting on climate change, yep. you know, from um, from a Fox News perspective anyway. <laughs> so that was good to see. And I would think that it would come up in the next debate, which is going to be town hall style. And one little kind of just tidbit on debates that I heard today is that while the news came out already that the the commission that creates the rules and sets the um, all of the, I guess, the standards for the debate um, has already said that they're looking at changes such as turning off the mic of the non-speaking candidate and stuff like that. Um, that that town hall format, you know, what is, you know, you're not going to see somebody having a back and forth with, you know, a nurse in the audience who asks about health care or, uh, maybe it'll be a Z- Gen Z person asking about climate change. You're not going to get in that kind of debate, which we saw mm-hmm. even um, President Trump debating Chris Wallace on some of those questions, which I thought was funny, too. Like, you're not debating him. He's just the moderator. But, um, you know, it's just going to be a different format and hopefully more conducive to <laughs> really talking about um, solutions, which is what we're all about. It's talking about solutions. Yeah, I thought it was important that Joe did push back on the Green New Deal, which, it, again, it just bears repeating for our listeners right now. The Green New Deal is not a bill. It is not a proposal. It's really just a set of ideas. That is what the Green New Deal is. That's all it is. And I, it was really good to hear him push back uh, against the Green New Deal, which I think is, you know, not a good idea or good ideas, I should say. Um, But as far as Trump goes, you know, and asked, do you acknowledge climate change is real and human cause? Yeah, clearly politicians uh, most times don't answer if they don't want to. And, you know, he goes right into, I want crystal clean water and air. Well, how do you get it? But (laughs) one to ask Trump right away, well, you address climate change. You know, crystal clean water and air doesn't just happen. Um, The other, you know, I, you know, not to attack Trump and make this all to tear him down, but, you know, with the forest fires raging out west and, you know, I know destroying uh, a place that you and I love, Napa, Sonoma, you know, areas in wine country out there in Northern California, you know, to, to say we you need, quote, better forest management, end quote, I, I mean, that's just ridiculous. Um, yeah. So I mean, I mean, that's not forested area, and so much of the West is actually under public is is or, you know is comprised of public lands yeah. which are under federal 
um, are supposed to be maintained by the federal government. So I don't know. I was a little, I didn't think, you know, he, we've heard the, I want crystal clean air. I want crystal clean water. That has not been his practice. I think a couple of episodes ago, I talked about the, um, 100 environmental rollbacks that have happened under this administration and something like 27 of them have pertained to air and 14 of them have pertained to water. So, you know, it's action, action speak louder than words. And Bob says it all the time. And Mr. Curtis and I talked about it in the episode. You can't just be against something. You have to be for something. So maybe you don't like those 27 regulations that are on the books. What is your substitute? You can't just take them away and not have something to offer in return. Yeah, and that's something, just real quick before we get out of here, that's something that Bob, in working for him in his six, uh, second six years in the House, 2005 to 2010, when I was his comms director, that was something that Bob said, especially toward the end um, when the Democrats took control, because when we were going through the Affordable Care Act or we were getting ready to go down that road, um, you know, when cap-and-trade was proposed, you know, Bob always said, if you're going to stand against these proposals, you need to stand for something. And that's why he proposed the Raise Wages, Cut Carbon Act. It's like, if we're going to stand against cap and trade, we need to come to the table with something else. Um, and he did. I mean, that was Bob's bill. Um, that was another reason why, um, you know, the Affordable Care Act, when everything was being discussed and Obama was going to tackle health care, you know, early in that presidency, that Bob did a health care tour, a nine-month, and I know because I spent the uh, – over a year planning what ended up being a nine-month healthcare tour around the district because Bob wanted to see how healthcare affected everybody across the spectrum um, in such a very very complicated area. Doing hospital, you know, ER visits, did uh, ER ride-alongs in, in the middle of the night, all kind. So he wanted to come to the table also with ideas. If we're going to vote against the affordable care act, well, we got to be for something. And it's just a principled stand and something that I applaud John Curtis for doing because it's easy to say no. Um, but our democracy begs for people to come not just with a no, but with an idea if you say no, and we need more of that. So kudos to John Curtis. It's sort of like, I think about, we all have that friend <laughs> who you invite to you know, back in the days when we could be social, you would invite them to a drink or to have coffee or lunch or invite them over and um, they will constantly say no or they'll say yes and then recant, uh, reschedule. And after a while, you start to think, well, you don't want to really hang out with me, so I'm not going to ask you anymore. And I sort of see the same thing when you just say no, 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 no. And you don't say no, but, you know, that's all it takes, right? Is it no, but what about this? then you're not going to be invited to the table anymore. And I think that was the point that Mr. Curtis made so well and um, that Bob has made so well. You can't just say no. You have to say no, but, and have, you know, have something else to offer. Otherwise, as Bob has noted um, so many times before, people would rather have something than nothing. And I would rather right now, I get Obamacare, I'd rather have that than not have health insurance. So... Absolutely. Well, Chell's great. On that note. <laughs> yep. On that note, let's go ahead and get out of here. Again, download, subscribe, listen, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, multitudes of ways, many, many different ways you can listen to us. Just go to your favorite podcast app. I guarantee you we are there. Search Eco Right Speaks. But until next week, Episode 17 is in the books. Chels, we'll do it again then. All right.
right. Thank you so much, Price, for all your hard work to make this so listenable to our community. Thanks for our listeners for listening. Have a great week, guys. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader. 